Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And honestly, it was a pretty slow week. Nothing really happened. Um, now, just kidding. It was a huge week. Are you kidding me? The WSL announced its 2024 CT schedule. I chatted with Jesse Miley Dyer. The internet got on my case. Sam McIntosh came to my defense. Uh, there's so much going on. We have a stab edit of the year entry. We don't have a How Surfers Get Paid episode. I'll explain why later, but there's so much going on. Also, another huge thing, there's a cruise ship that is going to house all of the Olympic surfers in Tahiti. We've got all the info. We've got the details. Let's drop in. All right, Mikey, how are we doing today? Buck, um having a rough day the internet doesn't like me today shit well it's not your first time now is it <laughs> that's true it's certainly not my first time your skin is thicker than that python that tried to surf snapper and got in trouble yeah uh i hope so but um i think that thing got taken away from its owner so i don't know if that's a bad omen for me i don't know if i'm gonna get fired soon yeah, i guess we'll see we're gonna get to why the internet is mad at you but uh anything else any other you know complaints comments life in general because i have a few uh, yeah, hit me. Well, I'm in the great state of California, as you know, and pretty much the whole time it's just been covered in this like gray. It's almost just like look, looks like the Eastern Bloc. You know, it looks like the communist, uh. the other side of the wall. Um, and I'm just, I know marine layers and shit. Like we get them in Portugal too, but like, and I used to live here, but it's different. It has that distinctly Eastern Bloc look to it. And so I just want to put forward the fact that. I think it'd be cool if California just embraced it and started speaking Slavic languages. <laughs> I think it would just, at this point, it would just make more sense to me. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a good call. And I have an idea for a surf brand. And we're already in production, right? And we're in California, or Stab's in California. Why don't we just call it Marine Layer Productions? That's not a bad idea. I'd click on that. I'd go to that website. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, chapter something... We could follow it up with, but anyway, there's a lot of news, Mikey. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about why the internet's mad at you? Should we get to the first story? Yeah, we'll get there. Surfing's chief of sport explains why the WSL finals will remain at lower trestles. So, a couple chiefs get together. You know, you got a chief of sport, you got an editor in chief. Sit down, have a little chat. We're talking lowers. We're talking the CT 2024 schedule. And then next thing you know, the internet's mad at Mikey C. What happened? All right. Well, let's go back a little bit first. So this all came from the WSL announcing its 2024 championship tour schedule. The main points here are that there's going to be nine regular season events in 2024, one less than in 2023. We're losing J-Bay and Lamore. We're gaining cloud break, so there is a bit of a plus side. And Lowers is going to remain as the WSL Finals location. Every other event is staying the same. There is a little bit of a schedule change. Tahiti is going from the last event of the season to the event right after the cut. That is to make space for the Olympics and to have a quote-unquote Olympic preview. But yeah, so that's that's the big news, quote-unquote, um, from the WSL this week is their 2024 schedule dropped. And we got a chance to interview Jesse Miley Dyer. So I gave her a call. I asked her a lot of the questions that I had about the schedule and a few other things. Um, the interview actually starts, I think probably the best part of the interview is when we're talking about Jesse's background and history um, as a young surfer, as a CT surfer. Oh, it's like, it's like a, 
Just a travel guide to Bronte. Yeah. Bronte? I think it's Bronte. Yeah. Bronte. Okay. Well, there you go. We're getting there pronunciation-wise. Probably not a good word to botch, but still, we got there. I like that. I like this shitty left that she's talking about in there. Yeah. Jesse um, grew up surfing a wave that I should be familiar with. It's called the bunker, but I've never been there. So, um, mm. yeah. Uh, anyway, the interview then goes into talking about the schedule, and this is where I lost the stab audience. So I asked, you know, a lot of questions that I had. You know, why is J-Bay and the pool being taken away? Um, did you have a hand in bringing Cloudbreak in, being a goofy foot? Is the next goofy foot, or is the next CEO going to be a goofy foot or a regular foot? So I think that a lot of the frustration comes from, I mean, well, the comments say it pretty clearly. They think I asked softball questions, which is fair to a certain degree. Um, we're going to get into why that may be in a little bit. But yeah, uh, we learned a few things from Jesse. But to be fair, she did give a lot of, you know, WSL sort of corpo parcel tongue answers as well. So it's it's a bit of a mix. You can definitely learn a little bit from this interview, especially if you read between the lines. But on face value, it's definitely not this uh, kind of tell-all interview. Do you know if Andrew Stark is regular or goofy? <laughs> I, he's got to be a regular foot. Yeah, there's no way somebody that staunch is like a goofy foot. Yeah, no, I, I, so he's my bet. Just throwing that out there. But anyway, yeah, I think I'm upset like most other surf fans just to see like what one of the longest waves in the world and just what's been like a super consistent event in the last years. I think it's just a fan favorite in um, the surf ranch disappearing. <laughs> um, that's really upsetting to me. But yeah, it's it's... I'm saying see J-Bay leave and uh, R.A.P. Paul Evans. I think that was his favorite event to go commentate at. So thoughts and prayers. He has left behind a wife and young children. So R.A.P. Paul. He also called me out for saying the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I got that wrong last week. It's in fact a painting. (laughs) And so thank you, Paul. R.A.P. to you, but thank you. Anyway, the J-Bay thing makes, I guess the... One answer is just scheduling. It's a complex year at the Olympics. But I do think the WSL is going to kind of have this excuse every year now because when it's not an Olympic year, it's still going to be an ISA World Games year. And so the scheduling thing isn't going to go away, but who cares? I mean, it just means there's more surfing events and more opportunity for surfers to experience success in their careers. So we'll find a groove there. Um, And then another thing you asked about that I found interesting because there was this kind of looming... Peter Mel slipped on a webcast once and said something about them thinking about pushing the mid-year cut back, maybe more three-quarters year cut we'd see. You brought that up, and the answer was, hey, it's the plan to just keep it mid-year. So that was interesting. And then regarding the kind of softball stuff, I mean, I saw a comment saying, why didn't you ask about ELO? And if you think there's any chance that like that is the type of situation where we would get any real information about what happened with Eric Logan, it's just there is a 0% chance of it coming out in an interview like that. It's just not, any way we're going to get that information is not through asking the WSL chief of sport in like a interview about the schedule. So yeah, I don't know. I've interviewed, I think I've interviewed Jesse before. It is like, you kind of have to try to, I don't know. I didn't think your questions were bad and you, you don't have control over how she's going to take them. And like, she is in a high level role that she's, I would imagine quite happy to be there. Like, she's not gonna just randomly throw like you're not gonna get crazy information out of an interview like that you just kind of ask questions that you you know you shoot a lot out there and see what you can get and yeah i didn't i wasn't offended by it mikey i can say that 
Well, you you're me. the only one. You're unique in that. You can go onto the site and read the 40-odd comments that are bashing me. Um, just to give you an example, one is, soft, Mikey, soft. You asked a few good questions, but JMD did the stock standard dodge, and you didn't press her. Remember, we're paying for this content. Grow some balls. Um, one of the things that I actually should have prefaced in this story, like in the intro or whatever, is that I was given a 15-minute time slot with Jesse, and that also included having a WSL moderator in the conversation with us. So as we're going along, first of all, I got reminded that my questions should all pertain to the schedule. And then as we're going, I'm also getting like, hey, we got to go soon, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I'm like, okay, I just have a few more questions. They're like, oh, it's just one more. Blah. So there's a lot to it as well. It's not as though I had Jesse sitting down with me for like an extended or unlimited amount of time and I could continue to go into each topic as in depth as I would have liked to and as surely our readers would have liked to hear. But on the other end of that, there's just the simple fact that you kind of know after dealing with these people for you know however long that there's only certain things that they're going to actually answer in a truthful way. So yeah, to ask about ELO, like they haven't said anything about it in what it's been like almost four months now. There's no way that they're going to tell me on this random interview about the schedule. So there's a lot there. Um, I, I, I do understand where the readers are coming from, though. Like I totally get it. If I was in your shoes, I would be saying the exact same thing. But let's go ahead and listen to a little snippet from Jesse, and then we're going to hear from someone who is maybe even more fired up than the commenters. Ooh. So speaking of last week, and speaking of another thing that didn't change on next year's schedule, Lower Trestles yes. will be the site of the 2024 WSL Finals. How did you guys come to that decision? So, I mean, I think <laughs> at the moment, and well, Trestles has been like a really fair playing field for the surfers. I think it's been really important for it to be a peak, for sure. Um, you know, the fact that we have a solid competition site in lowers and how consistent it is is also you know really important for us when we're looking at that but um yeah i mean like the fact for us to be able to give the, the athletes a chance for reliable competition in a in a great spot i think is is a big one and that's why it's still there okay to push back on that a little bit this year i don't think we saw a single keeper score surfed on the left and pointing back also to an article that Sam McIntosh wrote last week, Trestles is fair in the sense that, you know, it's like a playing field that everybody's skills are easily displayed. You know what I mean? But also, it's always going to be weighted toward a particular type of surfer. Felipe Toledo will always have a better chance out at lowers than John Florence, the same way that John Florence would always have a better chance out at pipeline as Felipe Toledo. So... Do you think the plan is to stay at lowers for the foreseeable future or are you guys looking outside of that for 2025 and beyond? Um, I mean, look, every year we, we look and we'll build a schedule and based on showcasing the best surfers. So I can't really speak much further than what we're, when we're coming into because, you know, there's so much work that goes into the schedule. I will say there's a lot of, you know, when we're speaking about um, Felipe specifically, like, you know, I think that he may have maybe only done one air, you know, in the last two years to, um, you know, and we probably have to like double check that for you. But when you're looking at the type of surfer that he is and <clears throat> the type of surfing he's done to win world titles, um, it's there's probably some anecdotal stuff in there as well. 
when you look at the types of people that we've had in the finals right now, you know, people, there's obviously like a personal preference on if they want to go left or right. And I say that because we saw Gabby go left, you know, <clears throat> as a goofy footer, choose to go left and, and you know, wanted to, to, to ta- take that on to, to try and win. I think having the option for the surface to go left is important. You know, having the option for them to choose is is a big one because it gives them the the, tr- the chance to, you know, decide what they how they want to you know play their strengths in some ways. Because um, there's a lot of strategy that co- goes into winning heats that's not always just you know surfing. So that's why for us it's been important to have the peak. Okay. How Stab Gets Paid. Wow, Sam McIntosh on the keys lately. You have to you have to love it. Last week, he and I talked about his story. I mean, we knew the WSL schedule was coming, and so he wrote kind of an opinion piece, which is rare from him, talking about how he thinks that the final system at lowers could almost push John John Florence and Chris Moore, two of the greatest surfers of all time, into retirement just because it seems to be a very difficult way for them to win at. And now he wrote this doozy, How Stab Gets Paid. It's incredible. Um, I loved reading it from my perspective because it's stuff that I'm aware of. Obviously, having worked in this business for two and a half, three years, I guess I'm coming up on, and having to make a lot of decisions while I was in the editor-in-chief role, I don't think there's any chance I could have laid it out as clearly as Sam did. It's funny, he like sometimes makes these comments like, oh, I'm not a good writer, I'm not a good writer. Just And he writes things like this, and you're like, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah, I got this message super early my morning, which means it was late Sam's night. And he's like, sorry, I'm just super fired up about this. And I was like, what is this? And I opened it like still in bed and I read it. And I was like, whoa, this is like Sam's going in right now. And it was sort of in defense of me, which was really nice. So thanks for that, Sam. Uh, but it was more just in defense of Stab's business model and why things like this Jesse interview kind of happen the way that they do. Um, So we can give a little bit of an example of that from the story. So uh, basically, one of the things that he said is, there's a reason New York Times doesn't make TV shows. There's a reason HBO don't do celebrity news. They are two very different types of entertainment. Given their access with superstars, can you imagine how well Netflix or Disney could do gossip news? It would be otherworldly. Can you imagine how tough it would be for the New York Times or TMZ to flip and start trying to secure talent for documentaries or series or events? So what he's saying is basically there's uh, there's news and there is like production media, right? And STAB happens to do both of those things, which puts us in a really interesting situation. And Sam even noted that it might even be a unique situation. Like from what he can tell, looking across all media, there's nobody that's really doing what we're doing on both sides of that divide. Um, And that's not necessarily like patting us on the back. It's just in surf media, we've obviously found that the straight news doesn't work and the straight production, um, it doesn't feel like that's what we want to be doing either. So we sit in this middle ground that's just a really unique space, but it means that we have to be super, super careful about how we manage relationships with surfers, brands, etc. Because we can go out and we can say all these interesting rumors and things that we know about surfers that would surely get a lot of clicks, but at the end of the day, that would mean that we wouldn't have access to those same surfers who we want for big projects like A Stab in the Dark or How Surfers Get Paid. Um, so yeah, Sam, it's it's a really, really compelling piece. And to your point, like 
the way that he put it all together, it just, you read it and you're like, wow, that makes a lot of, or I, I hope it makes a lot of sense to the outside world. Cause obviously we're still pretty close to all this working within stab, but I hope that somebody who is a paying subscriber can read this and maybe understand a little bit better why something like that Jesse interview wasn't quite what they were expecting. Another point he raised in there, which I don't think it's unique to surfing that this is overlooked. I think it's across the board right now, but the fact that people are still people like no matter what you're criticizing there was a human being that was involved in that that in most cases put a lot of time effort like they didn't try to get things wrong you know and there's probably there's almost certainly aspects of what they're doing that you have no idea about there's almost anything is going to take more time than you think it would take if you just see like the wsl schedule like oh i could have done that in two minutes with a crayon like yeah, a full team probably had to have a bunch of meetings on that because there's so much that I think the everyday person doesn't see. I don't think it's unique to surfing to criticize that, but it is just the point about criticizing people without... You can lose touch with the fact that often cases it's just a human being trying to do their best on the other side of that, that you're just trying to tear away at. And often when we criticize, we're criticizing things that we've never actually done on our own. It's just very easy to throw a funny comment. And I think when you do it humorously, it can be fun. But when it's like, it is, we live in a society where it's like vicious attacks now on pretty much everything. Um, and so that was a really good point as well. And I think it goes back to just the fact of like, yeah, we do have access to some information that would not only damage a relationship, not let us secure talent if we publish, but also it's just, I think, sometimes just like ethically fucked up. Like why why does somebody making this decision really need that like exposed to 20,000 other people? Like it's, it's one thing to criticize somebody surfing, I guess they've chosen to do that in front of a large group of people and, and open that up. That's what they're doing for a job. I think that's different. They're subjecting themselves to criticism every time they stand up on a wave in a Jersey, but with personal stuff, it's, it's icky to me to just even publish stuff like, yeah, let you have to let people actually have a life as well. And so sometimes you get access to things that, um, it would just be fucked up to publish, even if it's not that like good or bad or whatever. It's just like, hey, this person didn't didn't want twenty thousand more people or fifty thousand or fucking hundred thousand more people to know about this. And it's also this piece was very serendipitous, um, in the sense that how surfers get paid was actually supposed to drop on Thursday, but for some technical reasons, it got pushed back. So it's going to be going live Monday now, but we'd already talked about it on last week's podcast. Obviously, we'd posted about it on Instagram. So we were like, oh no, what are, like, what are we going to do? And now it just turns out that, um, yeah, this piece lined up very nicely, how Stab gets paid. Sorry, slight correction here. The piece is no longer called How Stab Gets Paid. That was a title that came from somebody else. Sam didn't love it, so he changed it back to his original, which was Risk Reward, The Dickhead Index. You'll understand why it's called that when you give it a read. Meet Aranui 5, the 126-meter, 103-cabin luxury cruise ship and home for Olympic surfers at Chopu 2024. We often talk about titles on here and just if they're, you know, sometimes they're clever, sometimes it's a lot to unpack, sometimes they're straight to the point. This falls into the lot to unpack range, especially, it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's just work backwards. Chopu 2024, home to Olympic surfers, 103 cabin luxury cruise ship, and it's 126 meters. So as we all know, probably most of us, Olympics will be in Paris, but Chopu is the surf venue. 
Uh, Chopu is not an easy place to put the amount of people that would attend an Olympic event between all the surfers, all the coaches and stuff. I mean, the Olympics, they roll out the coaches out, all the media, pretty much everything. So they had to get some creative solutions here. And could there be a solution more creative than the Aranui 5? I mean, this, like, when we heard this was happening, we were like, that is absolutely genius. Uh, I've never been to Tahiti, so I don't have a full understanding of, like, what that little town is like. But I do get the sense that it is very small. It's very also, I think, pretty, like, underdeveloped. Like, there's no major supermarket there you know what i mean like it's just to to bring the olympics somewhere like that would be really difficult so what do you do you put everything that you could possibly need and more on a giant cruise slash cargo ship insane um this thing can hold 300 people and 3,000 tons of freight which um yeah i think that should probably be a sufficient number of acai bowls for the competitors let's hope um and it's it's just so funny like I don't know. You think that there's 14,000 athletes in the 2024 Olympics. And as far as I understand, surfing is the only sport that is going to be performed outside of the actual host nation of France. So they're going to be 15,700 miles away from the rest of the Olympics, which kind of sucks in a sense. Like if you make the Olympics, especially if you're, you know, one of those ISA people who, you know, is not a CT surfer. And this is kind of just like your biggest opportunity, but you don't get to really revel in that moment of being in the Olympics. Like it's such a huge thing for any athlete, but I guess this is kind of a bit of a payoff. Like you're not sitting in this tiny little village in Tahiti. At least you're on like a giant cruise ship. There's going to be presumably pretty nice amenities as far as you know the rooms and the food and everything else that they have set up for them there so i think this is a great solution to a really interesting problem the only question is buck who is getting this singular presidential suite would you give it to carissa the reigning gold medalist would you give it to felipe the two-time world champion or would you give it to fernando aguirre the man responsible for surfing being in the olympics oh come on it's gonna be the third isn't it <laughs> it has to and be, his surely. outfit's gonna be fucking incredible um so another thing i just want to call out just with, with the whole olympics being on the other side of the world thing i'm pulling straight from this story here at rio 2016 the new york times reported the athlete lounges were stocked with 450,000 condoms for free six-time gold medalist swimmer ryan lockie lockty lachta <laughs> uh, we're gonna go lachta no it's lachta ryan lachta estimated 70 to 75% of Olympians were engaging in a bit of the old in-out, in-out at the Rio Village. Um, so, yeah, there is something upsetting to me about surfers not getting to mingle with, I just think, like, I'm sure maybe there's, I wonder, I would just love to know if there's sports that kind of get along. Like, if like surfing is obscure in the Olympic realm, right? So I, I would hope that we could find just another obscure, like, maybe some, like, the bow and at the archery people maybe we could get in with them i just would have hoped that like there'd somehow be like an unspoken union between the surfers and like the archists <laughs> archerists arch archers the fucking bow and arrow people <laughs> so like i said this thing holds 300 people and earlier this year we got reached out to by the olympic committee something or other asking us if as a you know a media house or you know a press essentially if we wanted to lock in um, accommodation for the olympics and we put our names in for that so i don't know if that means that it's going to be on the cruise ship i've reached out to this person again to find out if it's going to be on the ship or in some nearby village or whatever they haven't responded yet 
I really, really hope it's on the ship. Uh, maybe I can. We're getting on the boat. Yeah, because that's the. I think the only way I can redeem myself from the Jesse Miley Dyer interview is to get on that ship and tell the most wild stories. We're getting you on that boat, man. We're getting you on that boat. There's just no way you're not on that boat. <laughs> so it's going to be parked off. Um, most likely, it's a little place called Viral, and that is about a 10-minute boat ride from Chopes. It's actually where one of the competitors in the contest, Kauli Vast, lives. It's kind of TBD whether someone like Kauli would stay on the boat or in his house. If I were him, I mean, I just, I guess it depends. Like, I'm sure he's got his routine at his house and he feels really comfortable with that and he could potentially ride that all the way to a gold medal. Also, it's like the Olympics comes once. You kind of want to make the most out of that experience. It'll be interesting to see what he does. But anyway, as far as we understand, um, or basically everything we understand about this story is on the site. Um, Paul Evans wrote it. So, there are some really funny anecdotes in there about, say, the 2006 Billabong Pro when a dozen or so tour surfers, including Kelly and Andy, actually did the same thing. They stayed on a 112-foot catamaran, which was set up by Raymana van Bastelaer. Oh, Buck. Oh, no, I'm turning into Buck right now. How do you say his name? Raymana van Bolister. <laughs> you know who we're talking about. The guy who somehow gets very uncoordinated humans who have probably never seen the ocean in their lives barreled at the surf ranch. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on here, but we are so excited about this cruise situation at the Olympics. If you can get Andy and Kelly on a boat together, you can get anybody barreled, my friend. <laughs> Stab edit of the year, Lob, Loeb, Liam O'Brien in Wandering. I don't think it's possible for any professional surfer, any human being to do more than Liam O'Brien. I think that um, if you're a child or the parent of a child, shout out Holden, Turkey, you should just look at this and consider, if this, he should just be the standard, which would probably evoke fear in anybody who wants to be a professional surfer. I mean, He's on the CT. He's dropping incredible free surf parts like this. He's editing those free surf parts, and he's studying to be an engineer. He's almost going to be a doctor instead. So how the fuck can you do more than this guy? How? I don't understand. Um, it's terrifying. He scares me. Well, it sounds like he quit studying for now because it was a lot. He is. He's gonna. He wants to be a wave engineer. He wants to make uh, wave pools, which is fucking incredible. So yeah, Liam O'Brien. We mentioned this last week. If you haven't watched this edit yet, please get on the site. Do your favor. Do yourself a favor. Go watch it right now. Because again, we talk about how intelligent and like and seemingly rational he is. Like you listen to his interview with Ethan, and he just sounds like such a mellow dude who just thinks things through. And then he gets in the ocean and just throws that all away. From the first few moments of this clip. You, we've, we've talked about his recklessness in the water before, and you will get that within the first 30 seconds of this film. It, it, and it is just a lot of, it's not even like, hey, maybe there's a chance. There's some ways in there where it's just like, no, like there was never, at no point did the ocean show any sign that you might not have this thing explode on you. Um, and he just goes, I, I, it's really impressive. So, yeah, like I said, like we, we can only do this piece so much justice. You have to go watch it for yourself to understand. Uh, but we also have a little note from Ethan and Liam O'Brien, who had a chat about this, just talking about what it means to be an intelligent person in surfing. I think I've been the beneficiary of some kind media with that highly intelligent <laughs> call. I don't know if that's too, too accurate. But, um, no, I've, I've, I mean, I kind of, I like committed to school. It was a bit of a deal with my 
parents from when I was a little kid that if I like did my best at school and graduated, that they'd let me do the QS for a year and see how I went. Right. So that was a big motivation. Um, but then, yeah, I kind of got into got into it. <laughs> yeah. Force, I guess forcibly, but in the end, I ended up like enjoying learning and and trying to learn new things and new skills. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, keep the brain working. But I kind of yeah, I feel like I've probably bit off a bit more than I could chew to in the end. But with trying to study engineering, um, which is I mean, it's definitely possible, but. I don't know. I've probably just lacked a bit of discipline and stuff. So I've I've just been deferring it for the last few years. Yeah. Um, just so I can focus full time on competing. But yeah, I think if I wasn't to compete, I'd definitely love to go and finish that degree. Off. I just felt a bit overwhelmed competing and studying. Like you'd be stressed out trying to do a heat, and then you like finish your heat, and then you got to go home and stress out and try and finish an assignment. <laughs> it's just like this is fast. Like, I can't enjoy this at all. Um, no. And I don't know. I just kind of. Yeah, I was like, well, I, I and at the time I wasn't, I wasn't on tour either, so yeah, I um, I wanted to just kind of get myself, like, get a bit of like a direction for my life set up, like I don't know whether it was going to be on tour or like if I couldn't couldn't hack it, just pack the surfing up and <laughs> and find something else to do. But yeah, since the surfing's kind of been working out the last few years, I was, I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to go all in on this and um see how far I can get with it and then hopefully I can <laughs> keep deferring long enough to <laughs> be able to pick it back up at the end. <laughs> yeah. How do CT surfboards differ from our own? I was actually startled by this. The answer I'd say to sum it up is not that much, at least if we got good data from our audience. Well, they're thinner, narrower, and perhaps a little bit longer? Depending, the volume that we ride is not that much different, which to me is pretty incredible. Um, you can draw a few conclusions there, which we'll get to, but this is a deep dive. This is a mother load of data. We already had Mitchell Shepard break down a survey that we did that we had over 1,000 respondents who told us what boards they ride and gave us the same information. And then we said, hmm, but isn't it Mitchell, Mitchell Shepardson? Yeah, it is, but still. Okay, continue. Mitchell Shepardson. Mitchell Shepard. He's a good shepherd. The Lord is his shepherd. Anyway, he came back on. He broke this down. It was pretty funny getting all this data because some people were like quite cagey with it. A lot of people were just like, hey, I don't care. You can, here's my stuff. One text. Um, and because we asked for height, weight, and then every board dim. Other people were like, why do you want to know this? When people weren't responding, like a few DMs are just leaving us unread. Shapers are the same way. Some people were like, yeah, sick, here's what they ride. Other people were like, whoa, why do you want this? And we kind of just had to say that, like, well, everybody's giving it, so you'll get to see all that, too. Um, awesome to see. I I wonder, I'd almost say we should make this a yearly tradition, but at the same time, I don't think it will really change enough to, like, warrant that. It might be pretty unsatisfying if, like, we do it next year and it's like, you know, some people went up half an inch and, the, you know, I don't know that it's going to be that that impressive. But basically what we asked was, What's your everyday shortboard? Obviously, people get a million boards. The waves change. It's going to be different, but it's like, what would you consider the most like everyday, what you're riding, normal waves? Um, and we learned a lot. There are some outliers here. Mikey, what stuck out to you? Uh, poor Ramsey Bukayam. The guy didn't even surf a heat this year, and we still got his dims. He's got the widest board on tour, and we didn't even get to see that fat puppy. Shit. I know. We didn't. We didn't. 
Sorry, Ramsey. Um, but there's no, there's a few interesting ones. The one that stood out to me was how thin and narrow Steph Gilmore's boards are. Like if you look at her size relative to other surfers on tour and then her board size, it is wild how tiny the thing is. And I have always kind of had the belief that the narrower a board is in particular, the better surfer you need to be to surf it. Like I remember one year I was down at the U.S. Open and I saw Ethan Ewing's board and again, U.S. Open, like we're talking shit waves and it seriously looked like 16 inches wide. Of course it wasn't. It was a matter of scale relative to the length and everything of it. But like I think that people that are at that sort of next tier of just having like control of their surfboard can get away with riding really narrow boards. The rest of us, not so much. The Ethan thing is interesting because I was almost going to put forward a theory that Steph is one of the tourist elders. And I think boards as a whole have gotten a little bit wider, especially for everyday surfers. But the Ethan thing kind of uh, discredits that. One little common thread there is the DHD though. So interesting interesting i was kind of impressed by like how much the range like if you looked at rio wida and jordy smith next to each other there is only it's gonna not sound maybe it's not gonna sound too crazy but there's 6.5 inches in height differentiating their boards i just feel like if you saw those two human beings in the same room you'd have to think it was more than that um so 5.8 to 6.2.5 was the range for men. That was 5.3 to 6.0 for women. Um, and the volume range for men went from 24.9 to 33. That's Kyle Belly to Jordy. Sorry, the women's height was Katie Simmers to Macy Callahan. Volume range for women was 22 liters, Caroline Marks, to 26.75, Carissa. Kind of interesting seeing as they're your world one and two. There's a little asterisk there. Um, technically, your world number four has the smallest leaderage, but Katie Simmers, quote unquote, doesn't do leaders, which I just bless her heart. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> good. good. Thanks for pointing that out because that is something too. Like, there are quite a few people who didn't. Like, there's a few people who gave us their dims and we're like, do you know what volume that is? And they'd be like, no. And so we'd like hit the shapers and be like, what volume thing is this? And they're like, there's a few instances too in which shapers would correct, they'd have different information. They'd be like, no, that's not what they ride. And so <laughs> take it all with a grain of salt. It's still super fascinating, especially because you get to see the whole spectrum. Um, if we did this with one surfer or a, a little selection, kind of loses its pop, but you get to see every single person. So it's a, a great read. We stacked it up against what the the normies told us too so you get to kind of see how you differ which like i said i was surprised by by how little i mean there's a big difference in skill between the people who answer that survey and the ct surfers it's not that far off it's true and one of the most interesting stats to me was the leader per weight ratio so that's measuring um how much you weigh in relation to how voluminous your surfboard is so on the men's side of the tour the range was 0.18 to 0.15 i did my own i'm at 0.17 so i'm with kind of within that range on the higher side which makes sense because as not ct surfers we should probably be riding boards that are a little bit higher volume relative to our weight to account for the lack of ability um but do you know what yours is well it's actually you ride smaller than because if you take your weight and multiply it by that number, you're spitting out a smaller volume. I'm more in that like 0 0.17, 0 0.18. I like bigger boards. Um, and so I'm up there, you know, I'm kind of in the range of like the female surfers. They were, they were 
had that number, I think 0.17, the men were 0.16. So I'm, I'm more with the gals in terms of the, the voluptuous qualities of a surfboard. Uh, and the inner, just to be clear, the, like we, with the data, we broke it down to like skill category and this is all self-reported. So again, grains of salt, but the lowest skill category that we let people even answer for was intermediate and that's 0.18. So it's still so fucking close to what these CT surfers are riding. And again, self-reporting from the intermediate surfers or from when we looked at that data too, there's some hilarious stuff about like, like the advanced surfers were, there was a bunch of people that said they're like over 50, not a bunch, but a few, they were like over 50 and said like elite best surfer in the water. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure? Um, but still when you get enough, I think you're able to, it's still some valuable insights that you pull out of it. So really punchy thing. And I don't know, a, a deep dive. This is like what you'd get in like a mag magazine feature back then. This is like a fucking lot of information to take in. I guess, yeah, to your point, we probably won't do this again every single year, but maybe in a few years, we'll bring it back and see how boards have changed. All right, Mikey, we're going to get to a sin, but let's just talk a few more things before we get there. I want to call it the Quicksilver Festival, which runs from September 23rd to October 1st in France. I'm devastated that I'm not going to be there. I believe Stace actually is, so Stace, I'm very jealous of you. Um, it's going to be a great time. We'll have coverage on the site. We'll share any exciting clip. They won't have a webcast, but anything that pops off over there, you will be knowing about. Um, we've been hearing some just kind of general whispers. We heard that pretty much after the long WSL season, every surfer was like, hey, I need to just reset. Like, I want to not do competition for a bit or even like surf that hard. I just want to go back and chill. Jack Robinson was very much in that camp. And then he saw a swell and just jumped on it. Was it Fiji or Tahiti? Sorry. Fiji. He went to cloud break. Fiji. He went to cloud break. So what an animal he is. Let's see where that world title line bet comes for, uh, you know, next year. That's just crazy. Imagine having a crazy year. He dealt with injury, everything ups, downs, that last minute thing against somebody in his own camp to get the spot. And then he's just like, I need to chill. I need to do nothing. He's like, I need to go surf cloud break actually. So yeah, to just a bit of whispers there, rub off that lowers <laughs> end of the sting of the 2024 schedule. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. We've been hearing some whispers about some board switch ups. This is uh end of the season. So people are, we're here. So there's going to be some logo swaps going down. So can't report on anything yet, but Stay tuned. We will have more. It's like F1. Anything else, Mike? Do you watch that show, Drive to Survive, when the, like they're all just like scheming like which team they're going to be on next season? It's hectic. I know, man. R.I.P. Box the Box or whatever they're called. Make or break. R.I.P. Rest in peace. And Paul Evans. After watching all this year's performances, if you could choose any surfboard team to be on, which would it be? AJW. <laughs> the, the logical yep. choice yeah how about you you're going sharp eye aren't you it's the little quad review still in your head come on i'm going sharp eye big fin it's so good it's broken but it's just yeah it's nostalgic um yeah i'm, I'm sick with sharp eye anything else before we get to the sin what else you got what's coming up we got a monster edit on the site with um parker coffin and luke swanson they get into the headiness of surfing analyzing it Ooh. down to a t um, and also Ooh. in just over a week, we have the Challenger Series starting in Portugal. So you know we'll be talking about that. Oh, my God. I went to the WSL's homepage, and I saw that like, the results are at the top or like the rankings. And I was like, whoa, there's a different color. 
it's red now because we're in Challenger Series <laughs> zone. It went. It's no longer in the top CT surfers ranking ticker tape up there. We're in Challenger season, so oh my god, I'm getting back just in time to go enjoy some of that. So it's all happening, yeah. folks. You know what else is happening? People are fucking up. They're sinning, and we're gonna. Oh yield wait, them. one more thing. Also coming up soon. We know we're supposed to have it this week. How Surfers Get Paid, Season 2, Episode 2, will be live on U.S. Monday. So it's a great way to start the week. I know we didn't get it on quite our deadline, but I think it'll be worth the wait. We need to add some extra things in there. Dot our T's, cross our I's. And, uh, oh, and there's another stab edit of the year edit dropping. I'm not sure if it's going to be next week or the week after, but it's uh, from someone in your neck of the woods. Ooh, Charlie. It's good. It's good. I've I've heard. I've heard whispers. haven't get to see it yet, but uh, very good gonna be a great end of the year race this year i'm excited to see how everything kind of like kale was just such the runaway favorite last year where i feel like there's like a lot going on now where it's fuck i don't know which way it's gonna go really there have been some calls for lob as the new leader um i think you know yeah but that's just recency bias come on every everyone that drops like this might be my favorite it's (laughs) it's, come on it's gonna be a tight race i'm super excited i think it's way more fun when there's like a tight race for it so what's bitcoin at like five (laughs) thousand Something like that. All right, let's get to the sin. All right. What up, Stabbers? I know I'm not the only one, but nobody ever talks about it. I need a penance. Please forgive me. But I close my eyes in the barrel every time for 40 years. What are you going to do to help me, please? I think I owe this guy a t-shirt, right? Oh, and a fringe bar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, the fringe bar. We're getting him on that mango hemp or something. That cashew butter. We'll make him see a few things. Oh, I think one of the most damning things about this was the time thing. There's something about just the 40-year line is really what is the most... I still don't really get it. How can you not open your eyes in a barrel? I don't Mm -hmm. really... Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. I mean, I only have one to open up anyway, but closing both of them, how do you do that? I don't understand that. Um, um, do you get it? I mean, there was one Instagram commenter who said that this is actually beautiful. It's like angels are guiding him through the barrel. There's another Instagram comment, which I really liked from at Luke Hoey 666. Um, it's not a penance, but he just said, I stare into the shower head with it on full blast for practice. <laughs> practice getting tubed <laughs> i like that one too that was the one i want to call out that is i hope he's dead serious um yeah i just didn't know that was, i've never heard of anything like this before and he does seem legitimately sorry like he does seem like shit i've spent 40 years of my life really pursuing this and in the pinnacle moment i don't really get to even see it um, okay so that's so my thinking is like People who are new to getting barreled, I understand that. Like, it's a scary thing. Like, to get barreled your first time, you have to be so much deeper than you actually think that you could or should be on a wave. And it's just, like, it's intimidating. Like, the whole thing, like, just goes over you. Hopefully it goes over you. Hopefully it doesn't hit you in the face like this showerhead guy. And so I can understand being, like, freaked out and closing your eyes because it's just this, like, moment that happens so fast and there's all these things going on. But after doing it for 40 years, it's like you're not scared anymore of getting barreled. It's almost like no. Forty years you go. There's a. It's like a a bell curve where you get scared again because you're gonna fucking blow out a hip. 
it's almost like he's scared of not getting barreled more than he's scared of getting barreled. So like he's scared of not getting barreled and then he's scared of being forced to reckon with that fact. Because technically, if you close your eyes on a wave, you could be getting barreled at any moment. You're like Schrodinger's cat. You know what I mean? Like you could be in the barrel if your eyes are closed for all you know. So if you open your eyes, you know for sure whether or not you're getting barreled. And I think that's why this guy has been closing his eyes because he can just tell himself like, yeah, I'm getting barreled because you know, you have other senses, you have, you know, there's like a feeling of being in a barrel for sure. But I have a feeling that this guy, again, it's not about fear of getting barreled, it's about fear of not getting barreled. And if your eyes are closed, you can just tell yourself whatever lie you want. So my penance is, he's got to bring out a GoPro on the next hollow day. And you can continue to do your no look barrels, but then you have to go home and watch the clips back after the fact. And once you realize that you're not actually getting barreled, I think that you have no choice but to open your eyes at that point. Like, you're, yeah, he's been surfing for a super long time and, you know, I mean, 40 years, it sounds like. Um, but I think the time to start getting barreled is now. He looks like, I don't know, could be in his 50s and or whatever. I think he's still got a lot of barrels left in him, but he needs to reckon with the fact that he's not actually been getting barreled with his eyes closed. And that only happens with the use of a GoPro. I like that, Mikey, um, because it is, it's so multi-layered and... Yeah, vision just isn't really a reliable sense of getting a barrel because I think if, if you've talked to anybody who, like if you talk to a snow bro, let's rope them back in. It's been, what, seven days now? See you guys in Big Bear. But um, you talk to them, they're like, I think I got barreled. And you saw what happened? <laughs> You're like, no, 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 no. Um, so vision isn't all together. They're fully, these are people, they're, they're of the visually unimpaired, many of these people. Uh, they have to see in like blizzards and shit sometimes, you know, whiteout days with Big Bear, you know? And it's true too, like, because I, I remember being a kid, like, and you see the lip start to like have that bend in front of you and you think I'm, I'm getting barreled. Yeah, but you're not really. You're not getting barreled really unless you see the curtain fall to your yeah. other side. You know what I mean? Like that's when you're getting barreled. And specifically when it's past your nose, then you're actually properly getting That barreled. is, that is, that is the rule. That is the rule. So my penance, it's going to be a little bit more simple. Because um, look, barrel, it's just, it's an experience, right? Like we're just trying to experience a few moments in time where we're in there. A closeout is also an experience. And if you do like the vision of a wave breaking over your head, which is kind of the most intense part of it, I think, like otherwise you're just kind of sliding across it. It doesn't feel too much different than riding like a super steep wave. Um a closeout is an experience too. The wave does crazy things in there, especially when you like really start to see almost just like the backwash inside it. I think it's really pretty the inside of a closeout. So he needs to just pack one of those eyes open. It's that simple. If he needs to wear goggles or some shit, then do it. But <laughs> simple, you need to just go observe a closeout, pack that thing. It needs to be overhead, um, which means Surfline needs to tell you it's double overhead. So you just need to pack one closeout. I like packing a closeout is a great experience, and I want him to see that. Not only feel it, but I want him to see that. And so there's something heroic about it too. Just I love closeouts. Um, so that's it. That's my that's my penance. That's how he's gonna heal. But he's still gonna get that fringe bar. He's still gonna get a, he's still gonna get a shirt. I'll write him a little note. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a nice time. We got a bunch of sins after I called out that shirt thing, by the way, this week. That 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 works. So we'll do that some more times. Make sure we get these good sins. So great sin. 
Good luck in your healing journey. And to any listeners, if uh, you heard any weird noises throughout this, I am in the stab office and people are not in this place able to comprehend that. If somebody's speaking in front of a microphone, you might want to be semi-quiet around them. So uh, shout out to the guy in the VTA hat. Don't know what that brand is, but uh, he's in the hat. He's been making all sorts of noise. So thanks, Hayden. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. And if you have a surf sin of your own, submit it to michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. Film it vertically on your phone. Keep it 60 seconds or less. And if you win, you will get a free year of Stab Premium, plus maybe potentially a T-shirt and a fringe bar. Uh, Man, huge week in surfing and so much more to look forward to. I'm so excited for that How Surfers Get Paid episode on Monday. And yeah, I don't know what else is going to happen next week, but whatever does, we'll be sure to let you know. Over and out.